Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, rock and rollers, welcome to another episode of the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast, recorded right off Abbey Road, where we talk about everything related to classic rock, hard rock, progressive rock, and heavy metal. And it's a story of an expat, namely me, the wolf, Mac B, who misses his record collection more than he misses his friends and family back in the States, uh, and wants to talk about everything that he loves with his old roommate and compadre, Gary Action Jackson. Today, we're going to dive into a guitar player that I know is underrated around the world and certainly very much in the United States of America, despite the fact that he's a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, has put out dozens of albums, including some of the all-time classics. And that's a guy named Steve Hackett, who used to be in Genesis back in the early to mid-70s during their heyday as a progressive rock band before they became the pop juggernaut that everyone my generation is familiar with from the MTV days. He played when Phil Collins was just the drummer in Genesis and Peter Gabriel was the lead singer. And then also once they moved Phil out front, once Peter left. And I want to talk about what he's been up to as a solo artist, all the stuff that he did in Genesis, and why you should be interested in him, why you should know him. He's an extraordinary talent. He can do all sorts of different things with the guitar, whether it's on electric guitar with all sorts of different effects, whether it's acoustically, with a band, more solo, what have you. He's an amazing talent, and I've gotten to know him well over the last seven or eight years, have a lot of his records and his Genesis stuff now, and I just don't understand why more people don't listen. So we're going to focus on that today, but first, let's do some Twitter shout-outs and see what's going on in the news here on the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. So I wanted to tell you a story, though. This is a great story. I wanted to tell you last week, we have a fan over here, man. I, I bumped into this, this dad picking up his kid at school the same time I was. Great big guy. I think he's ex-military, but he's super nice. I'm like, he crushed your skull in his hand, but he's always got a smile on his face and is a nice guy. And I don't know, we just got to talk about what we're up to. And, and I, we, I talked about how we made a podcast. He's like, oh, well, send it to me, man. So I, I sent it to him. And then the next week he saw me and he's crossing the street. He gave me a salute. He's like, hey, Mac B. And he didn't know me as Mac B. I, I didn't introduce myself that way, you know, like in the line or whatever. He only heard my name from listening to podcasts. Like, man, you do one hell of a podcast. I'm like, Really? That's that's really cool to hear, man. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. And we talked about. I was like, no, it's cool. I can't wait to hear the next one, man. And it's and and how do you know all this stuff? I'm like, well, you know, I'm just. And he's like, it was cool because he's like maybe forty. So he's like, it's cool to hear from the older guys' perspectives. You were just because we were just a little bit younger than you guys. You see what you guys went through with MTV and all those Van Halen bands and stuff like that. So I'm like, yeah, man, cool. Thanks. So like, is he American or is he English? He is American. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, but yeah, man, and it was it was cool. So he got he he got a he got a t-shirt before you did, but oh. uh, but I thought he deserved it to be honest with you. <laughs> so we yeah, and he's like, it's just you and Action Jackson, huh? I'm like, yeah, man. He's like, he's your fan, man. He's talking about you, it's Action Jackson. Man. <laughs> did you? you uh, I, I saw that uh, interview that Wolf Van Halen did with. Uh, with Howard Stern, mm-hmm. and have you seen that? Have you heard his song, "The Distance"? I think it's called. Yes. Have you seen the video? No. If you watch the video, you, I'm not crying. You're crying. I mean, huh. it's all home videos of him and Eddie, like from when he was a little kid up until when they played together in Van Halen, and then the track ends, and it's just a picture of the two of them, and he's got a voicemail from Ed saying, "Hey, you know, just give me a call when you get a chance. Love you." so happy to be your father or something like that. And it's just like right to the heart. Aww. Like, well, I mean, it's, you know, the thing is we can sit here and talk about how great, you know, Oh, we loved him so much. And it was so yeah, the music, blah, blah, blah. This guy lost his dad, Damn. you know? And so it just kind of cuts you to the, wow, he was really a human being. And it, it, it seemed like they had a really great relationship, the two of them. Yeah. And it's tough to, to lose a parent. And, you know, sometimes you might want a little privacy when that happens, right? Uh, you know, yeah. a couple of friends come to say hello and, and make sure you're doing all right. But you kind of want to close ranks. And when it's someone who's kind of shared with all the world like that, that can be hard, you know, for Wolfie. Yeah. And his thing was, you know, everybody's, oh, so when are you going to, when are you going to crack open the vault? And, yeah. and he, one of the things that he said was if, if Ed was here now, he'd be like, why are you looking at my old stuff? Go do your new stuff. Like, no one wants to, you, know, you got, go be creative on your own. 
So yeah. I thought that was interesting. And again, everyone, oh, you know, when are you going to do all this? Let me, let me just, let me breathe here. Let me grieve, and mm-hmm. then we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, man. And well, I mean, we're guilty. We're talking about how there's got to be stuff in the vault. Get it? To oh, sure. But I agree with Ed, and I bet that is how he would feel. Is you know, Wolfie should go out and do his own stuff. Yes, there's you know some obligation to the catalog, but uh, yeah, he should go be his own Van Halen, be his own mammoth. It was amazing the other day, man. Um, I texted you about it. I put out, I'm at the playground, and I'm basically dealing with one of those mothers that kind of has Asperger's. She just thinks I want to hear her complain about her life and her kids, you know, and like every time I see her, you know, and she's going on and on and on. And so I'm like, I, you know what, I got a conference call, you know, and I just put in my headphones. I'm like, okay, I got to be able to listen to something. I don't want to just listen to her tell the other person now. So I put on Eddie Trunk interviewing Wolfie, and I'm listening to that. And, you know, just to kind of get out of the situation. And then, you know, I, uh, I pick up Ruby, we go home. So a couple days later, I'm thinking that's kind of funny. So on Twitter, I just put out, is it wrong that I pretended to be on a conference call when a talkative mom came up to me when instead I was really listening to at Eddie Trunk, talking to at Mammoth Wolf, you know, or whatever on the phone. And that's it. And then I, I posted up there and I was about to go to bed. And then, boom, I saw I got a response. I'm like, how can I get a response? It hasn't even been up there, you know, one minute yet. And look at the, there was a like, and then it was a response, and it was Wolfgang, man. Nice. <laughs> it was unbelievable. He's like, no, you know, metal horns, guitar, metal horns. And, you know, I just watched it happen because it was so funny. Because usually, man, on a tweet for me, it's between like 40 and maybe 100 people see it. Mm-hmm. And maybe a couple hundred if Classic Rock Magazine likes it or a guy who has a lot of followers likes it or something like that. And Hackett's gotten us a couple that were over 7,000. But Wolfie, it was going up by the second like you could see it. 559, 572, 578, 591. It was just that by the end of an hour, I checked back and it had been 3,000 people had seen that. Or, you know, 3,000 in an hour. In an hour. That's, that's ridiculous. We, I we, thought you were going to say that lady somehow figured it out. Like, you told me that you were on a conference call and now you're saying that you weren't listening to me. <laughs> yeah, no. You couldn't stand me. No, no. Well, I'm sure she's not following us on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Please follow us on Twitter at ugly underscore werewolf. Want to give a shout out to a few folks who've given us some good likes and tweets uh, over the last week or so. Uh, one is This Day in Rush History. They have retweeted uh, us a couple times and liked some of the posts we've made. We're, of course, really big Rush fans. And they have a great Twitter feed. Every day they're putting up pictures of the boys over the years. They're showing ticket stubs uh, from past shows like On This Day in Rush History and, and starting some great forums. So if you've never seen them before, I highly recommend you checking them out. Absolutely want to say thank you. For uh, the folks at at Hackett Official, I don't know if that's Steve or that's Joe, retweeting us and liking what we do. But we're big fans of Steve Hackett, and so we appreciate you checking us out. Of course, to Matt B., no relation, uh, for all the many retweets and likes. You've earned your shout-out, my friend, and we appreciate you listening. And, of course, to Wolfgang Van Halen, who, after less than a minute of me putting up a tweet about whether it was wrong to tell a mom I was... Not really listening to her and listening to Eddie Trunk talk to Wolfgang. He responded within a minute telling me, that's not wrong. You're doing right. Thank you, Wolfgang, and all the best to you with your new record. And one last shout out to Kevin, our super fan here in London. I told you I'd get you on the show one day, and I appreciate it. Wear your shirt with pride, my friend. You have earned it.
What's up? Oh, I want to talk about some stuff in like the news. All right. News. News of the day. It seems, I mean, artists who own their publishing can do what they wish with them. It means they can license their songs out and make a lot of money. They can hold on to them so they don't get over-commercialized. The rights to those songs are, are worth millions for some. And lately, in the, in the same week, Stevie Nicks and Bob Dylan both sold their catalogs for nine figures. Dylan, 300, well, they didn't report the number, but they estimated that the value was over $300 million dollars. For the 600 songs he's written over the years, and that he owns the rights to, he may not own the rights to every single song he's ever done. If he's 600, it's a lot. 300 million is a lot of money. Yes. And to me, if if these people are going to sell their catalogs, that means they're pretty much just done with it. They're done messing with it. They're, they're leaving it to somebody who they think can, has the more time and energy. And, you know, you just cash out. You just say, okay, I'm, I'll take the payday and go home. The only thing is, I think once you do that, you don't have a say in what happens anymore. Like if they want to put everything out you've ever done, mm-hmm. that's it. So I think that's where you—that's where the balancing act is. But for three hundred million, I don't really care at this point in time. I'm going to sail away into the sunset. Yeah, and you know, Dylan's about eighty years old. You know, get that money right. Um, and then you can kind of do whatever you want. Not that I think he had any money troubles or anything like that. But then, you know, you want to keep touring, great. You want to say sayonara and roll away in the sunset, whatever. You know, I mean, Stevie's not quite that old. She's in her 70s. Only female, two-time Rock and Roll Hall of Fame member. But she has no kids, so she has no one to leave that to. And she sold 80% of it, so she still gets 20% of the revenue. So she basically, she's like, yeah, you can have it and control it, and I'll just take you know, the coupons, right? 20% of whatever you earn over the years to the day I die. It might not be a bad idea if you if you really have a trust that whoever is handling this will do it in a way that you would want it done. Mm-hmm. Like not the Prince thing where it's just people just go into the garage and start pulling things out and throwing it up on, you know, the internet or whatever. Yeah, with the 20%, I don't know if she has any kind of creative control left, but I would imagine that to sign these deals, you you would have a pretty high comfort level, and it's almost like a you get that mailbox money. Like you don't have to, you literally don't have to do anything anymore except for collect checks. That's right. And I mean, you're right. You get to be seventy, and you're like, you know what? I'm done having meetings and production. Just handle it, and I'll take it from there. Yeah. So they say that's going to be a trend. Content is king these days. And how much money can you get off of putting them in commercials and movies and TV shows and podcasts, I suppose, on the radio? I mean, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be, all the money that you can generate going forward. Who else is going to get that kind of money, though? That sounds like it. I mean, I don't see anybody getting to Dylan unless they're, you know, Mick and Keith or you know, one of the Beatles or something it's like gonna that. It's going to be, yeah, it's few and far between. There are many people that have that vast of a collection that people would pay for these days that, that could generate that much money. Yeah, Elton but it's John, maybe? Yeah, maybe, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I, I read an article a couple of years ago that Motley Crue actually did the reverse. They actually bought their catalog back from whoever, mm-hmm. Electro, whoever had it, because they were they were thinking the reverse of it. They're like, they're not doing anything with this. Right. Just, it's just sitting around... We can take it, repackage it, remaster it, and give it a better home than the people at the record company because they had kind of given up on it. Well, and that's smart, right? You know, I mean, you have a lot more to gain 
especially if they're not doing anything with it, that's good because that means they've driven Correct. the value of it down. You can buy it cheaply. Then, yeah, you'll go to work for it or put it in the hands of people who will. Yes. And then you win on both sides, uh, really. So, um, yeah, smart, good for them. I mean, look, Nikki may be, you know, an insane drug addict, but I still think he's pretty smart. He's made some yeah. good decisions apart from, like, girls and dope over the years, right? <laughs> But girls and don't get yes. the best of all of us, don't they? <laughs> correct, correct. And, you know, given that I'd like to say that I would have made a different decisions in his position, but probably not. I don't probably would have so, been man. right there with him. <laughs> I don't think so. But yeah, I don't I really don't know who else could generate that much, but as far as like people out now, I I just don't know. I think that's really where the money is. Mm, the commercials, movies, something like that. Big money, no doubt about it. So, I mean, only if so I mean that means some artists are worth a ton and then there's very you know, most of them are not worth much, but sometimes if you've got that one hit, uh like, you know, uh, whatever it might be, Pick a one-hit wonder. YMCA, right? The Village People's catalogs worth a lot more than it ought to be for you know being throwaway pop because they've got a couple of those songs that are earworms that have been in people's heads for so long. You can put them in so many movies and things like that, and they fit perfectly or whatever. Well, who's that dude? There was the guy, Norman Greenbaum, hmm. Spirit in the Sky. Spirit in the Sky. I think... He wrote that song, and then like nothing happened, and so he was he was doing something, working somewhere else, and then it just caught back on, and now like every so often it gets used in a commercial or a movie or something, and the dude just keeps he's making money in perpetuity now for that one song because it's it's just that catchy. It is, and it's just I, an iconic song, one hit wonder. Great, don't muck it up well, with the second at, one, right? <laughs> Yeah, we, we were talking about uh, Kenny Rogers, right. and uh, you just dropped in to find out what my condition. No one had ever heard that song until they put in the Big Lebowski, and then right. boom, it's a big hit again. Oh, hey, I love that song. I remember that. That's right. So, yeah, what about that's, Stuck that's in the Middle with You from Reservoir Dogs, right? Now, that right. was a hit, and, and people knew it. But once it was in there, and you couldn't, the scene was so brutal that you couldn't not remember the song because he's right. happy singing along and he's yeah. torturing the guy, you know. <laughs> what else? Oh, and we've got to, I mean, we got to say a quick RIP to Richard Corbin. Uh, Richard Corbin was the artist um, behind the Den character on the heavy metal movie that we reviewed last week. And the day that we put out our heavy metal review, Richard Corbin died at 80, and I guess he was a bit of a legend in the heavy metal community, the heavy metal, the magazine community. He did the heavy metal poster. Like I said, he did the Den character. He did a lot of amazing things, apparently, over the years. And we got a lot of good reactions from the artistic and cartoon and comic book crowd out there. Um, so, all right. Yeah, that's what I read, that he was he was kind of the, uh, the godfather of that genre of illustration and... You know the the science fiction fantasy deal. Yeah, every, everybody. Yeah, everybody knew him. Everybody was a fan of him. So yes, definitely, definitely a big loss in that community. Almost like a Stan Lee for those guys. Right. Yeah, and he did the cover to Meat Loaf's legendary album "Bad Out of Hell," and that's pretty rock and roll. So let's get on to the main crux of our topic today, which is the legendary guitar player Steve Hackett, of Genesis fame certainly, but he's been a prolific solo artist. I has made about as many solo albums as Peter Gabriel and Phil Collins and Tony Banks and Mike and the Mechanics, Mike Rutherford of Genesis. 
put together. And I know that our audience is primarily American. I hope we have a few listeners over here in England. Obviously, more people are going to know about him over here than back home. But I just think that he's underrated. And I want to make sure, and certainly in America, he is not well known. And I want to make sure that people know who he is and know what he's about and understand his talent. Well, and I, I hope that's kind of what we can do with this thing is maybe, I mean, okay, like we talked about Van Halen. Everybody loves Van Halen. That's easy. Yeah. But if you if you can turn somebody on to something that you haven't listened to before, I mean, again, like you said, he's underrated in America. So let's go down that, yeah, let's go down that road. Well, yeah, nor did I, you know, seven or eight years ago, uh, whenever it was that I discovered him. But then once I did, I was, I was so excited. I was like, here's someone who has this huge body of work because it's nice to be, I mean, it's one thing if you like a band and they've got four albums, great. It's not going to take you that long to digest those four, especially if you're catching on to them while they're going on and you have to wait for them, you know, two, three years for them to come out, you know, in between them, right? Whereas back in the 70s, they used to make a record every six to nine months, it seemed, you know, certainly one a year for the most part. And Genesis was a band that let their guys go do some solo projects, especially after Peter left. Uh, Everybody got to do some solo stuff. The last of whom, of course, was Phil Collins. Somehow, Genesis is an incredibly interesting band. And I just think that the Steve Hackett is obviously the one people know the the least about. So we've got to do a little bit on Genesis to give some background, to give some story to Steve Hackett. But the, but the cool part about something like that is it's like you find this like treasure trove. It's not just four albums. It's like, wait a minute. Like you kind of, like, I mean, you heard of Genesis, right? Everybody's heard of Genesis, especially from the MTV days. But this is something totally different. And like you said, they were putting out an album or he was putting out an album every year or so. So it's this huge treasure trove of goodies that you found in there. Yummy goodies. Yes. <laughs> I even got to see him in the front row, which was pretty cool for me. The interesting part is if you work Genesis backwards, mm-hmm. it's, it's not, it's not even the same thing. Like, yeah, it's called the same band that has the same name. Yeah. There are a lot of guys in it that are the same. <laughs> But that took a pretty hard left turn into the pop music. Pretty different, yeah. And I I wonder how one of those deals where if Hackett had stayed around, would they have done that? And let's say that he did stay around and they did that, would he have been happy about that? Because obviously that's not the style of music that he... That he, that he prefers that he performs. Well, did you listen to Spectrum Warnings? I did, yes. What did you I think? Did. I thought that was that was probably my favorite out of the stuff that I listened to. Mm-hmm. But I did start with the uh, the Flight of the Acolyte, which yeah. was the first one that he put out. Right. Which was interesting because that was a lot. I mean, that was pretty much a Genesis record. I mean, they had mm-hmm. he had the guys on there. So that was that you could tell that was definitely a side project, like a pet project that he wanted to do. Sure. And I think if I read the liner notes right, Mike Rutherford was playing bass on that yeah. record. And those first two songs that he did on their Ace of Wands, mm-hmm. he's killing it on the bass. Just killing it. And I don't know what you call that. I don't know the the, the official musical term, but when the bass doubles the guitar mm-hmm. i like that a lot i know steve harris does that a lot made where it's and so that it's just it just bottom it fills it out but it sounds really cool and the who used to play like that a little bit sometimes they do it back yeah. and forth but sometimes they do it at the same time every day was the first track on spectral but ace of wands was the big one on voyage of the acolyte okay okay yeah and every day I came to it through, here's basically how I found Steve Hackett and got onto the Genesis kick. Yes, everybody knows who Genesis are. 
from the pop days of the 1980s on MTV. And then you had Phil Collins going at the same time, right? There was a documentary made by the BBC in, you know, 20, it came out, it came to America, I think like 2012 or 2013, something like that. I think I saw it on Showtime maybe. And you know, you, me, Jackson are suckers for a good rock documentary. Correct. And this had everybody really who had ever been in it. I mean, it had the five of them sitting down. And by the five folks, we mean Peter Gabriel, Mike Rutherford, Tony Banks, Phil Collins, and Steve Hackett. Anthony Phillips was also in the band, and there was a couple others. But basically, those, those are the, the, what they call the heyday, the golden age of Genesis, were the five of them. And you should know all of them from the band. You should know all of them individually. But Hackett is the one I think is most anonymous, especially in America. Which is strange because that's usually not the way it works. Like if you look at the, the history of rock and roll, usually the guitar player is one of, you know, it's the lead singer and the guitar player. That's usually how it goes. So the, the fact that he's not, but I think that kind of speaks to him as a person. Like I think he's just kind of a very chill, very confident, but not, oh, look at me, look at me, look at me, overconfident. I think he's just uh, just a very under understated gentleman. I think you're right. I think you're right. And he didn't sing for the longest time. I mean, you know, he had Phil come and sing on, you know, some of his records, you know, when, when Phil still wasn't even singing in Genesis. Uh, I think he was going to sing with Steve. He didn't start singing till very late in his career. And I think that works against you in America. Americans are so fixated on the singer. If you're a Steve Hackett, it's the Steve Hackett band. Why aren't you singing the songs? Why isn't it the guy who's singing the songs band is the way a lot of Americans look at it. Obviously, Clapton eventually figured out, yeah, I do need to step up and sing, you know, and that has affected his career greatly. He's, uh, I mean, you could argue Jeff Beck's a much greater player, but he doesn't play the crowds that Clapton does. Because he never sang a song. Right. You know, so that, that it kind of worked against Steve. But so there was this great, it was, it just kind of took him, the documentary went back to the beginnings. Genesis started at a private boys school for rich kids, I think, by Peter Gabriel and Tony Banks. They were good friends. And Mike Rutherford, they all went to school together along with Anthony Phillips and another guy, I think his name was Stuart, was the drummer. And they were kind of like the school band and they played, da, 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 made a record, did which was called From Genesis to Revelation. You know, no one considers it a very good record. I don't think it's not. They've ever played anything off of it in a really long time. But I think for a bunch of teenagers, it's a pretty good record. Uh, then they did Trespass. I think they had another guy on the drums who didn't really fit either. And then the story is Anthony Phillips became, he became nervous. He had anxiety to go on stage and play. I think he liked writing songs and playing his guitar, but I think performing was, was becoming a problem for him, is the way I understood it. So, so he was going to leave. And then they said, well, maybe we should break it up. And then Mike and Peter said, no, we're going to go. And then Tony's like, okay, we're going to keep going. We got to replace the drummer. So they replaced the drummer with a guy named Phil Collins, who apparently had a pretty good singing voice as well. And then they picked up Steve Hackett. And then that for about four or five years there was what most people refer to as the golden age of the progressive era of Genesis. Now that, that's interesting too, because I think that, again, if you work it backwards from the MTV days, you really don't get a sense of how great a drummer Phil Collins is. No, and you don't get a sense that they would play a 23-minute song like Supper's Ready uh, or, or any of those long, crazy anthems that they like to do that are wonderful compositions. 
uh, and really show off some incredible musicianship uh, that you you don't get uh, very often. I mean, it, and it's it was that high level of musicianship that kind of led to punk. It's like, look, not everybody can do that, a, and not everybody really wants to listen to all that. Some people just need to communicate a little more viscerally, and that's why you get three chords and a stick pin through your nose, right? <laughs> yes, and 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 again, like you said, some people they just can't. They can't play like that and will never. But yes, I can play three chords yeah. with the Marshalls turned up to 11. Right. And I've got two minutes and 13 seconds that I can give you, not 28 minutes. That's right. All right. So then they made these, I think it was, they made four records. They did uh, Nursery Crime, Foxtrot, Selling England by the Pound, and then the double album, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. And that was the four records that... that those five made together. Peter left, and then they made Trick of the Tail and Wind and Wuthering. Both came out in 1976, one early 76, one late 76. Which, again, is insane. You would never see that today. Two albums in one year? Absolutely not. It is, but then you think 74, Lamb, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway was a double album, and it involved some massive production and some massive stage production. And that didn't come out till late 74. They toured on it, toured into 75, and then Peter left the band. So they had to deal with all the legal ramifications of that. And then auditioning 70, 80, 90 singers, each one say, Phil, sing it for them and show them how it's supposed to go. And then they would sing it and it wouldn't be as good as Phil. So eventually they had to take Phil, except that Phil Collins was their lead singer. And then, yeah, in February, they got their first album together. By November, they got their second album. And then Hackett left. And then, of course, they eventually recorded the uh, And Then There Were Three album, which really kind of solidified the stadium headlining 80s genesis that would run for the next 10, 15 years, pretty steady. And then when you throw in the Phil Collins solo stuff, a juggernaut uh, of just pop and rock hits for so long to come out of, you know, what was somebody you couldn't get even on the radio. That's the thing, man. I never heard a Peter Gabriel Genesis song on the radio growing up at all. Never once. You know, it, it, we heard Genesis. It no. was all the fill years. That's it. You never heard a Peter, Genes a Peter Gabriel song. Right. The first time you ever heard of Peter Gabriel was, you know, when So came out and Sledgehammer. And then it's like, you know, this guy was in Genesis, right? Wait, what? When? <laughs> well, back in the day when they put out records. So they had records before they, yeah, and they didn't sound anything like that. So it is odd that you could have, and I think that goes back to America versus the UK. You could have bands like that there where... You just can't in the United States. You have to be a singles band mm -hmm. to really make it. We don't, I guess, we're just awful people. We can't. Well, we're simpletons. Can't. We're simpletons. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, <laughs> uh, we need our rock and roll to sound like rock and roll AAB blues. You know, that's a good start for yeah. everything. And this is obviously a little more intricate, a little bit more composed. And I, I think it comes from the education, personally. I think the, the education and the more classical education where they do. And they may not be nice about teaching you the piano. They may whip you when you hit it wrong, but at least you get it right later, right? But you are going to play it right. But see, that's that another thing about about this band, though, because they came from, I mean, they, you know, they came from fairly nice upbringings. They went to this kind of fancy private school, you know. And even in the video, Tony Banks said, like, after school, we decided 
it'd be better off trying as a band than starting off in a bank or something like that. I'm like, you know, Steven Tyler and Joe Perry won't be like, maybe I'll work in a bank. I said, no, man, they were going to be, you know, like, you know, a fry cook or something like that. If they were in a band, they were going to be slugging hammers or something like that. Right. Well, that's what, that's what Gary Rossington said after the plane went down. Mm -hmm. They said, well, how can you, you know, you, you can't go on with Leonard Skinner after Van Zant died. And he's like, I know how to do two things, play guitar on Leonard Skinner and pump gas. And I am not pumping gas. <laughs> so that's right. That's, those are his two options. But the one thing, so, so I started listening to The Voyage of the Acolyte. And the one thing that I really struck me is that, I, so I went into it thinking, okay, this is Steve Hackett's solo record, mm -hmm. right? Who does solo, who does, who's the guitarist that does solo record? Okay, so you got like Jeff Beck. You've got, you know, Joe Satriani. You've got, it, I thought this was going to be like a guitar-centric mm -hmm. album. But really, it was a lot more heavy-duty than I thought it was going to be. Usually, the, the solo tracks are some kind of backing deal so that you can shine on the guitar. It's basically guitar solo, where this was really not. Right. And I thought, thought that was really interesting. Well, that's that's what kind of caught me, too. It's, it's not just you're right it, it's not just listen to me well let me do this old you know 12 bar blues but i'm gonna you know really kill it on here and right, where the bass and the guitar and everybody else are just they're just fall they're just they're just giving you a little bass that you can you can shine on this this was a lot of other stuff going on and and yeah i, I just i really liked it well the fact of the matter is when you've got those five or even those four guys in a band like they did in 1976 there's a lot of musical ideas, right? There's a lot of talent. It's not like only one guy can write a song, you know, and if everybody pushes and pulls to get their stuff through, some of your stuff won't make it, right? And from what I can tell from the some of the parts uh, movie is that, you know, Steve maybe doesn't put his hand on the table. He's not that kind of guy. He is, like you say, more kind of chill. I feel like Tony Banks really kind of feels like he's in control, um, especially after Peter left. I think he and Peter were friends, and then they had a real head-to-head -head collision. The landline lies down on Broadway basically broke up the band because yeah. it broke up Peter and Tony. But then Tony was left. He's like, okay, now I'm in charge, and now I can really exert my will more. And, and Steve's still a little more chill. And, I mean, Tony, he looks like kind of a chill Englishman, but he's kind of – you see him staring at his bandmates when they're talking in an interview. He's just staring at them like, what are you saying? Did I say that? You know, are we in agreement on that? I don't know. If you, know you, could, you could see he's giving them this look like, I'm in charge. Or this is not exactly – yeah. We didn't discuss this, you know? <laughs> oh, good times. Good times. And that, that is an interesting thing when you see, especially, I mean, again, going back to the American things, we're, we're pretty much, we put all the cards on the table, you know what you're getting. But yeah, the, the, it's funny to see somebody who's very, you seem like they're reserved, but then yes, they're going to go ballistic on you when the cameras turn off or something like that. It's just, <laughs> right. it's odd. I don't know why we can't, again, I, with something that's wildly successful like that, I don't understand why we can't just all be friends. But in his defense, maybe they're wildly successful because I'm the one that tells you what to do. And right. if you didn't, you'd be wandering around with your finger in your nose, not knowing what to do. Yeah, and, and, and if Tony Banks wants to say that and say, yeah, you can either, you have me to blame or you have me to thank, you, yeah. you decide, right? Uh, and, if you, and if you like Genesis, then you have me to thank, you know? But that's the thing. I mean, he, he was, he's so prolific, man. I mean, you think of Peter Gabriel, Phil Collins, Tony Banks, and then Mike Rutherford with Mike and the Mechanics. Steve Hackett's solo output has been about as much as all those guys put together over the last 45 years. It's, it's unbelievable. Which makes me think, what, 
what would have happened had he stayed there? Would he have just been miserable or would, would it have gone a different direction? I don't know. That's one of those you could, you could argue that all day too because it, his stuff didn't go pop. He kind of stayed true to where, where he started from, the stuff that he liked. So, I mean, who knows? It could have been a different deal. And he's gone a lot of different ways, you know. He's he's made some like just acoustic albums before. He's done a, a you know some covers. He's he's done kind of collaborations with people. I, I think for a while it kind of was hurting his feelings that he wasn't having success because it was like, why can't I get a sniff in America? Like I can get you know stuff on the radio every day. Off Spectral Mornings was a fairly big hit, I think, in England. Not an enormous hit, but a hit in England. Couldn't get a sniff of the radio. I certainly had never heard it until I'd seen the documentary. Accompanying the documentary came a three-disc set called Archive, as in letter R hyphen Kive, K-I-V-E. And it has, it's an, it's an incredible compilation, really. It has the best of the Peter Gabriel years, and then, you know, good songs like Afterglow and things like that from the, the four-person band. And then it starts to splice in the solo greatest hits. So it has Salisbury Hill by Peter Gabriel on there. And it has uh, Run Silent, Run Deep by Mike and Mechanics and In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins. And it has Every Day by Steve Hackett on there. And I heard that song. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. And at the end, the guitar work is uh, extraordinary. And I'm like, oh, man, that's so great. Why, do, why have I not heard this song before? You know, I, I can't believe it. And, and yeah, I mean, look at his... He's in. He does a solo album in 75, two Genesis albums in 76, and then an album in 78, 79, Defectors 80, Cured is 81, Highly Strung is 83. I mean, he, he doesn't stop working, um, but he could never get a sniff in America, apparently. I just don't think we were ready for that kind of music. Again, it has to be, and especially once you get into the 80s, it had to be MTV-friendly, MTV-formatted. There wasn't really a lot of, I mean, there were album rock that came out, but if you wanted to be successful, it had to be that format. There was just no, there was no room for anything else. You're right, and we like what radio stations may call AOR, but you have to show me the work of an album. A, a hit song is wonderful, and it may get my attention to listen to that album, but I have to hear... I have to hear the, the 40, 50, 60 minutes, whatever the full statement is. You know, you could get lucky once. I, I want to hear everything you have to say, right? Correct. Correct. And and the, the, well, a lot of times what you lose on the album or not listening to the album is the other kind of stuff. Like I love those like little, you know, two minute jobs that they just throw in to kind of bridge one song to another and how they, they're all strung together. And because you're, you're right, you're trying to make a statement. What are you trying to say with this thing? Not just single, single, single single right. crap. The Please Don't Touch album in 78 is great. I also have The Defector, highly strung, good album. He he couldn't get a, he's like, you know, I, I was in Genesis. Really, can you get Phil Collins to sing on one of your songs? Because if you can, we could push that into the top 20s. I have him on my old albums. You know, why do I have to have Phil or why do I have to have Peter, you know? So he did chase it a little bit, though, because he and Steve Howe of Yes fame and a fellow Rock and Roll Hall of Famer got together to make a quote-unquote super guitar group called GTR, or the symbol for guitar. Right. And, and they, they had a single. They had a single. And yeah, that, yeah. I, when the heart rules the mind. Yeah, that, you tried. Yeah, because <laughs> I, yeah, I, 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 I saw that too, and I, and I kind of, I was listening to that, and I was just thinking, oh, this is not, I just wonder, 
I wonder if that was somebody trying to tell him, listen, this is what you have to do to get on the radio because it's not really what he does. I thought that the how Hackett, like there's two lead guitars, like what are we kind of doing here? Yeah, I don't know. They're both named Steve, so that's kind of weird. You know? Yeah, Steve Howe and Steve Hackett. Yeah. And, and then you say super group, but like the rest of the guys were kind of not, you hadn't heard of them before. And I don't know. I think that was a, I think that was a try to fit, trying to fit something in a box that maybe you weren't super comfortable. Yeah. You know, and, and, and Steve Howe, of course, had had some nice success with Asia True, but he also kind of missed the yes heyday with Owner of a Lonely Heart and 90125. Um, but he had had some MTV and some decent success. So, you know, and, and Hackett was is a brilliant guitar player. And hey, Prague Gods, let's stick them together, see what they can do. They did do some neat guitar work. Apparently, they had very bad management and the management was spending money on all sorts of nonsense. And even when they had a hit record, and I guess it was a bit of a hit and they did a tour in America. Um, it, uh, I even saw some old footage with Joan London with those two on the Today Show <laughs> back in the day. And, uh, but you know, there's singer Max Bacon. I mean, Gary and I are kind of jerks sometimes. And when we find it, maybe someone whose career ebbed maybe a long time ago and they never did anything else ever since we say, oh yeah, he's sitting at the end of the bar saying, yeah, I used to be in super tramp or whatever, you know. <laughs> Whatever your claim to fame once was, right? Turns out Max Bacon, who was the singer and, in my opinion, the weak link of GTR. He was not that long ago the manager of a bar, so he was, as far as I know, literally sitting at the end of the bar. Now, he ran the bar, um, and that gave him the right to sit there. Do you think maybe he had the GTR poster or record or something in the... Oh, it's funny you should ask about that. I was in that band. Gee, I really hope not. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but it wouldn't be out of the question uh, well you know I love I, Steve yeah, Howe I, I love Steve Howe and Steve Howe has two great anthology sets one is him with his band so all of his best stuff from Yes and Asia and GTR and a bunch of other stuff that he's done over the years and then he's got um, another one of his solo stuff or, or it's just stuff that never really kind of formed into anything else and he's got on I think it's the Steve Howe the solo stuff anthology stuff that was never released that he made with Max Bacon. Like he was all ready to make a second GTR record, but I guess their management. And so there's like four five, six songs, something crazy like that, that he'd done with Max kind of getting ready for the, you know, the next round. And it just didn't, it didn't happen um, because the management had bankrupted them back here and everybody needs to go their separate ways anyway. Uh, or if, I don't know that. Yeah, and then so that just goes into the uh, the category of you know what if could have been something like that. Just the the moment in time passed. But yeah, I I don't know. I, I just don't think that that setup would have worked. That if you're going to be a lead guitar player, there mm-hmm. there have, there can be only one. And when it's it's gimmicky when you oh we'll we'll just trade back and forth. Very few times when that works. Yeah, I think you know. Maybe Priest and Maiden are the only two that I can think of where you're like, no, that really works, and they share things back and forth, but now it's yeah. you got to have one person. Yeah, and those guys were together front. forever, right? Those guys were together for decades, whereas you're putting these two guys together um, from totally different uh, totally different bands, and, uh, you know, hey, guys, Correct. just make it work, you know? It, it can't always work now, that way. It's interesting, because I did see a little snippet of an interview with Hackett, and he said 90125 was one of his top five favorite albums that ever came out um he said the production value was just over the top and the songwriting was great 
And that's interesting that that was, you know, the big album without Steve Howe right. in it. But anyway, hey, I really love the album that you weren't on. He, Steve uh, is apparently uh, becoming difficult to work with these days, which is kind of, I think, sad for all of us. Because we're basically missing out on John Anderson, who is not dead, singing Yes. I mean, that's a waste. Well, that's a that's a weird deal, too, not to go off on a tangent. But didn't they, didn't Yes get somebody else who kind of looks a lot like John Anderson and sounds a lot like John Anderson? The, the, the first there? guy they got to replace him was from a Yes tribute band, is what they called. Oh, my goodness. Um, but then they got, a, they got another guy they had to replace him. Uh, you know, and they've got another guy now, and he's much younger and can maybe hit some of those notes. Steve does not like to tune down. You know, it's like it just doesn't sound right, and I have to make too many different shapes in the guitar. And what are you going to tune down the bass? No, sing it this way. And you know, and uh, you know, I, I I think Squire and Anderson maybe had a bit of a they could be creatively about heads maybe, or they they had big, they were the guys with big ideas. And Steve is kind of like the sober one. And now that Chris isn't there, you know, there's nobody really to tell Steve what to do. So mm. he's 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 in charge. I do wonder about that sometimes when you've got a when you've got a situation where you've got person A and they've got big ideas and person B has big ideas and then they come together and they just don't mesh. Mm-hmm. What happens then? You gotta I mean, you gotta throw out some, but no, all of my songs are great and your songs are terrible. Right. And back and forth, and then you got the other guys in the band who are just like, oh, I don't even want to deal with this because it's not worth it. Hey rock and rollers, have you got a good idea for an episode? What should we focus on? What bands would you like to hear about? What trends in music or in rock and roll do you want to hear us talk about? Let us know. Tweet us at ugly underscore werewolf and check us out www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. Did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Do we miss the point? Tell us here on The Wolf. But so, yeah, after I saw that documentary and then I got archive and then I said, oh, now I got to go get some Steve Hackett records. So I went out and got Voyage of the Acolyte and Highly Strung and Spectrum Warnings and just loved them. You know, I thought it was great. Like, this guy's awesome. And then it turns out ever since, you know, I mean, Steve's never really stopped working. But ever since Genesis was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2010, he has been cranking it out, man. He's making an album every other year and then when he doesn't make an album he's putting out a live generally two disc live album and often a two disc and dvd set which will show the concert and usually have some kind of documentary and talking to the gang and whatever and you know he's gone back and revisited a lot of genesis stuff and i think the reason he's continues to do well today is because he's really playing that old Genesis stuff and none of the other guys are. Genesis has only toured once, basically, in the last 30 years. In 2007, they did a tour and that's it. They were going to tour with Ray Wilson on the Calling All Stations, but nobody wanted to see that, so they canceled it. So, I mean, you know, I mean sorry, but that's what happened, you know. Um, and and Phil barely tours. He finally did a tour. He's not going to do that really old school stuff. He's certainly not going to do the stuff where Peter was singing. You know, so there's, there's nobody else out there doing it, but Steve Hackett is authentic. He was there. He was in the band. He helped write those songs, and the guitars, parts that he's playing are his. So he can go out and do remembering Lamb Lies Down. He can go out and do remembering songs from back in the day and incorporate that with his solo stuff. And he's selling out Royal Albert Hall, which is, what, a 5,200-seater. He's doing that once or twice every time he wants to do it. He's doing nice big tours around England. When I go see him in America, he's in, like, a, a casino, you know, and I can get a front-row ticket for, like, 120 bucks. 
You know, and like people in America need to respect who Steve Hackett is and understand these songs, you know? Well, that's that's kind of a cool part about Hackett because he can do something like that. Like if Phil Collins said, I'm going to go out on tour. Oh, okay, cool. And I'm only going to play the old Genesis stuff. Nobody would show up because <laughs> that's not, it's, it's too late for him, I think. He's, his fan base is against all odds right. and in the air tonight. Like they don't want to hear, oh, here's off, you know, here's something off uh, selling England, but what? what? Huh? I've never heard of that before. But people who show up to see Steve Hackett, that's exactly what they're looking for because that's what he's known for. That's his deal. And no offense to anybody, he it, it, it appears like he can still play everything. He's still very, very adept at the instrument. hasn't lost a step. The only thing that I find disconcerting about him is the fact that he plays that Fernandez guitar that looks a lot like a Les Paul, but it's not. It's not. And I, if we ever get the chance to interview him, I would love to hear that. Why do you play that? Obviously, you can play whatever guitar you wanted to. Why do you choose that one that looks like a Les Paul, but it's not? What is better about that deal? than the standard Gibson? I don't know. Well, that's a good question, Gary, and maybe we'll have to send a tweet out about that, see if anybody gets back to us. And, and I think that's that's the, the crux of this show, is that or this experience is that's the kind of questions we want to ask. I don't really care about, you can do whatever you want. Why are you doing that? Let me know. And I'd like to know, too, what, how do you, because you must have thought about this. You have to think about this. Where do you think that band would have gone had you all stay together or if you if you could have you know gotten your way through that i'm just curious well that wraps up part one of our genesis steve hackett show please tune in next week where we'll get to part two we'll also go over live streaming events and what we think about live music coming back, when and if that will ever happen. I'll review the Liam Gallagher live stream from the River Thames. But let us know how we're doing. Subscribe and download now anywhere that you could find your podcast. And give us a shout out at ugly underscore werewolf. And if anybody out there wants a little homework assignment, little required reading to get ready for part two, check out some of those albums we mentioned today. You should definitely hear Selling England by the Pound by Genesis. And if you want to start somewhere, the beginning is always great, where Gary started Voyage of the Acolyte. Spectrum Mornings is my favorite of Steve Hackett's solo albums. And he's released one this year, a live album featuring Spectrum Mornings and Selling England by the Pound. I think you'll really like it. Thanks all. Be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.